I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is James Milley, and I am the managing partner and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you may know, we're also a business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing art. We're here today with Danielle Glosser. Uh, Danielle is the founder and principal of Client Razor, a business dedicated to helping artists increase their client volume and visibility of their art. Danielle garnered her expertise through years of working in nonprofit and government sectors on social justice issues. These professional opportunities, coupled with her personal belief that the arts are central to igniting conversation and enhancing human understanding, moved her to help artists with the business elements of her practice so they can more fruitfully share their work with the world. Welcome back to the show, Danielle. Thanks, James. Great to see you. It's great to see you too. Before we get started, Danielle, I want to ask you something. We ask every guest this, but we really just want to get to know the real Danielle. Could you tell us a little more? Your, your background wasn't initially art. So when did you realize that you would be dedicating your life to art? Do you have an early memory of art and your connection to it? Absolutely. It's quite a story. My background, actually, as you just read, is social justice issues. So I've studied sociology and have my master's in it with an emphasis in race issues. So I thought I wanted to be a diversity trainer 25 years ago. And I got a few jobs in that field. So I worked with Fortune 500 companies. I worked at the White House. I worked as the director of public policy for a nonprofit that fought all forms of discrimination. So I was really rooted in trying to save the world. I made my (laughs) mark. I felt like I did some good. And then I fully burnt out because, you know, after banging my head on the wall for years about hate crimes legislation and employment non-discrimination issues against the GLBT community. That's what we called it back then. I needed a break. So what did I do? I decided to have two kids. That was not a break. (laughs) (laughs) But when my little one started preschool, I was reading a script that my brother wrote. He's a screenwriter in Hollywood. And I usually don't like his scripts at all because they're very violent and I don't know it's just not the genre I go for and this one I loved I thought it was so fabulous and I decided right then and there like I want to be that excited about my work again so I started researching like what would I be good at and you know what's kind of different So I interviewed for a job that involved social justice issues and the arts. Long story short, I didn't get the job. I found out they were going to pay me $15 an hour and I was pissed. So I decided I was going to have to start my own business because I needed a flexible schedule. And that's what I paid my babysitter. So I uh, was interviewing a bunch of solopreneurs one summer because I thought, oh, my number one skill is really networking. And that's what someone told me I should focus on. So I was trying to figure out, like, could I get some of these solopreneurs clients somehow? 
And in the middle of all this, our neighbor, who's a very famous artist, he does stuff for the White House Visitor Center. He does stuff for uh, Mount Vernon. I mean, he's extremely accomplished. He asked if he could use my boys as models. So I said, sure. So he comes over with his lights and props and everything. And I was like, what's this for, by the way, you know, two hours later. And he said, (laughs) I've been asked to submit for the White House Christmas ornament. So I thought, oh, great. I want my kids on the White House Christmas ornament. (laughs) So we had to go to his studio so he could look at their hands or something. And I looked at the description he was going to submit. And he asked me what I thought. And I said, honestly, it's terrible. Let me rewrite it for you because... I want my kids on the White House Christmas ornament. <laughs> so I rewrote it for him and he loved it. And I started thinking, are artists some group that need help with my skill set? Strategic planning, project management, research, writing, networking. And I went to ask him. And before I said a word, he said, I've been thinking I want you to represent me. And I was like, what? Because I don't have a background in art. I didn't know anything about art, really. And so he said, well, look at your art collection, look at your interest in design. And I was like, what art collection? We have a fabulous art collection, but (laughs) I never thought of it that way. Like it just didn't register to me in those terms. So I started helping him out and I shared with the people that were helping me to figure out my business, what was going on. And I got two more artists. I got my friend's son, who I actually just got him his 12th commission. (laughs) That's amazing. And I got my friend's friend. So I thought, hey, I'm just going to focus on artists and see what happens. So it's been six years. I've helped over 130 artists. And to answer your question, the short (laughs) route, basically, (laughs) someone talked me into doing this. It wasn't, you know, my idea. And obviously, it was the perfect match. I just didn't think of it on my own. I love that. If anyone knows Danielle, she is huge with networking and has so many valuable insights to to offer to artists. So I love hearing that story that you kind of just like fell into it. And yeah, having having this love for art that you didn't even really realize was recognized by other people, but any collection, any size of a collection is is a collection worth uh, noting and appreciating. So absolutely. I I love that. Last year, I was writing a note to my clients, and it really struck me for the first time that I really, really, really like art, but I deeply love artists, and there is a difference there. I just think they're the most extraordinary people, the the talent, the way they think, the challenges they face. Like It's just such a fascinating group of people. And I just am really drawn to them even more so than their work. Absolutely. I think that's what we're all here for is uh, to, to help artists, you know, sell their, their art and, and not just appreciate art, but, but appreciate artists. So Danielle, you started Client Razor because you realized that artists need help growing their art business, as we just heard. What are the top three ways that you fill the gaps where the artist is lacking in terms of growing their successful business? That's a great question. Look, I have some clients that are brilliant people. I mean, I have clients that testify on Capitol Hill, people that are doctors at NIH. I have 
literally rocket scientists. <laughs> so in DC, we got it all here. So, <laughs> so for the highly intellectual artist, which is a lot of people in our town, I help bring everything down a notch because they have to be able to express themselves and articulate their art in a way that everyone can understand. So the artist statement is key to that. I developed a three-step exercise that I take them through, and that includes all of my clients. Because likewise, for the folks that are more emerging artists or that have a hard time discussing their work and putting it on paper, this process really helps bring that out because it's not sitting down and writing an artist statement. It's basically dumping a bunch of words and sentences out by answering my questions. And then I help formulate the paragraphs with them and then outline the structure. And that's my creative organic process because I literally do that one-on-one -on -one with each person. For years, people have wanted me to do a workshop on it and I just can't wrap my head around that because how do you leave a three, six, nine hour workshop with an artist statement if I need to help you one-on-one? -on -one? Plus <laughs> it's personal. It's very personal. So I'd say that's number one is helping them articulate their work and putting it into their artist statement. I think also a key way that I help artists is to grasp that they are entrepreneurs and show them the importance of building systems to the business side of their practice in order to be organized and helping them to learn how to best market their work depending on their goals. So everything I do is based around their goals. And everyone thinks, oh, artists just want to make money. That is not the case for every artist out there. I mean, some people really just want to be in a museum or they just want recognition by getting into that certain residency or they really want to acquire a certain grant. So there is a huge range of goals out there in terms of my clientele, which is always fascinating to hear. I had a woman hire me once because she wanted to put everything up for auction and donate the money. <laughs> so, you know, you get a whole bunch of, as diverse as the art is, so is the uh, population of artists. And then I'd say the third way I help them is really just to have someone to bounce ideas off of that's objective because artists have so many people talking at them, telling them what to do, whether it's their family, their teachers, their peers, other artists, you know, and since most artists do not have a gallerist, I think to have an outside source and especially because I'm not from the art world, I see things in a different way, which adds tremendous value to them. It can save them a lot of time or a lot of money in terms of just what they want to do. So I'd say those are the three main areas. I think those are hugely valuable for artists. I, I, I think having someone to bounce ideas off of, like you said, and really just take a step back and get outside of your own head a little bit and, and be able to you know, have this focused advice from someone else is huge. And I'm speaking as an artist myself, sometimes writing an artist statement and talking about your own work, even when the meaning is there, 
it can be so hard to do that on your own. And I have, yeah, it's painful for people, (laughs) like literally painful. I had this one woman who, I mean, she just, she like got a headache. She's like, I have to leave, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just because it is, you have to dig deep and really figure out like what inspires you. What is your process? If you're a painter or a sculptor, I think it's a little different for photographers, but still photographers have to be able to lay that down on paper too. Mm-hmm. So it is important. Yeah. And also having that outside perspective from the art world makes the best advisor, in my opinion. I'm not a threat in any way. I'm not trying to promote my art and yeah. promote your art. Like it's all about the artist, mm-hmm. 100%. My greatest joy in life is when they accomplish one of their goals, whether it's something as simple as getting a new studio space, which I can tell you some people work in terrible, terrible, terrible conditions. So that can just be such a joyful moment or whether it's selling a piece or one time I got a muralist, we were at a pitch and the hotel wanted one mural for $4,000, but I'm a really good listener. And I figured out, they actually wanted two murals. So I got her two murals for $12,000. <laughs> Amazing. That's yeah. awesome. And like you said before, I mean, artists all have different goals. I, I speak with several artists a week on the phone, asking them about their goals as well. It's not just, I want to sell art and make money. Obviously, that's super important for a lot of artists out there that I would say that's probably the top goal I hear. But besides that, getting commissions outside of that, getting large public grants and and things like that, and then also just recognition, getting their name out there. There's so many goals and really just tailoring the advice and the guidance that you're offering based on those goals is, is I think also super important. This actually segs pretty nicely into my next question. So Danielle, uh, you do a masterful job of assessing each individual's business practice that will lead to success for them. What is your system for developing personalized business plans? So what I do, my process, I call it the inventory assessment process because <laughs> I, I look at all of the artist's marketing materials and then I interview them to learn all about them and their work and how they're kind of wired so I can best assess recommendations to give them to reach their goals. So from there, I go through my tool of 25 items that's based on, you know, kind of your basic business components. Then we get into branding and marketing and then sales and visibility strategies. So I go through this 25 item tool and then I have a debrief meeting with the artist where I walk them through where they're at based on where they want to be. And I give them specific action items to take in order to accomplish their goals, as well as a time frame to consider because you can have all the goals in the world, but if you don't attach a time frame to it, then it's pie in the sky here. So, you know, for example, one guy, fabulous artist, and I was like, you know, I'm all about diversifying your revenue stream if you're trying to make more money. And I said to him, you know, why aren't you applying for grants? Like you could be getting so many grants. And he said, well, I'm dyslexic. And I said, well, let's look at, you know, who's in your inner circle and who might be helpful. And he said, well, my wife is an attorney. And I said, well, I it's think a good she place help to start. <laughs> <laughs> this happened with someone else once. This woman wanted a new website. 
So I got her some quotes and I came back to her and she thought they were too expensive. So I said, well, let's look at, you know, who, you know, your nearest and dearest and see if someone could help us. And she said, well, my son won an Oscar for something he did on a movie regarding technology. And I said, well, I think he could build a website. (laughs) (laughs) Often people have resources in their back pocket and they, they're just not thinking of them. So that's just, you know, some examples of how I can look at things differently than they do and why it's important to have a third party to assess the business side of your art practice if you're stuck and not, you know, moving forward in your career. Again, just having someone to help you if, you know, if your hand is two inches from your face, like being able to back up a little bit and and see the full picture, right? That's what we're talking about here. And then also, so after that whole assessment process, say there's five things I think the artist should do. They can go do it by themselves or they can work with me on specific items, but that's like a whole separate package. So if someone is a great writer and I think that they can do their artist statement on their own, then you know, I'll let them know. I'm very transparent. Like my goal at the end of the day is to help them. I'm not trying to become a millionaire here. I mean, working with artists is not the best target market. <laughs> That's what I wanted to accomplish. So uh, if they need help with something that they don't want to do themselves, I'm happy to do that. But at the end of the day, I try to help them decide who in their world could be of assistance. In fact, one guy, he didn't have any more money to spend. So I helped him figure out that, you know, one of his friends could be a great resource with a number of things he needed to do. So he approached her and not only did she help him, she was a much more established artist. She invited him to be in an exhibition with her, which was tremendous for his career. So sometimes people are afraid to ask other artists that they know for a favor. And my philosophy is I'll ask anybody for anything because the worst (laughs) they're going to say is no. I mean, I can tell you a lot of stories from the White House when I got in trouble (laughs) doing things like that, (laughs) overstepping my boundaries, but I didn't get fired. (laughs) (laughs) The worst that can happen is the person will say no use the people around you as resources. Again, we're talking about networking here. That's what is really uh, at the core of building yourself as an artist. That's awesome. And and I, I love that personalized approach that you're bringing to the advising that you take. And, and again, I mean, you couldn't possibly communicate one thing to an entire group of artists in, in this group setting. I mean, getting that one-on-one feedback and really just having that outside perspective is, is huge. There are a lot of artist advisors popping up. Like I find a new one every day, (laughs) but they are all about pay me a thousand dollars to watch my 10 videos for one minute and you can figure it out on your own. And I don't do videos. I don't hand you handouts to fill out. It's all about that one-to-one connection because I need to understand you and where you're at and what you've tried and what's worked and what hasn't worked in order to best assess what steps you should take next. Yeah. From our experience, uh, over 75% of visitors who come to Superfine say that their favorite aspect is meeting the artists. It's not, oh, oh I, 
I loved this event that was going on or whatever. No, it's meeting the artist. So from the, I guess you would call it the back end perspective as well. It's also about one-on-one connections. So, you know, I've had people buy art because of the artist. The art was secondary. I mean, that's why (laughs) I do think people that are very, just like any other profession in the world, right? People that are more charismatic or really good at talking about the work or engaging people on any level, it could be their sense of humor, it could be their story, it could just be their look, right? They're the ones that have a little edge. So if someone's more introverted then they really have to develop the story behind their practice and make that a serious part of how they not just pitch to potential collectors, but it helps ground them as well and what they are trying to accomplish. Absolutely. And I think especially in in 2020, there's so many options that are available at everyone's fingertips as far as, you know, the different art and artists that they can come across. So what is making you stand out amongst all of those other artists out there? And and one thing is having this one-on-one connection with that person who likes your art. It's going to make you as the artist top of mind for that that collector out there versus anything else that they could be choosing. So absolutely. Again, this segs pretty nicely into my next question. Danielle, uh, you, you also step in and help clients sell their art sometimes. We get a lot of questions about how an artist should set their price point. What is some advice that you can give for how an artist would go about pricing their art? The most important aspect is to stay consistent. You don't charge one person one thing and then sell something through an interior designer and mark it up 20, 30, 40%. I recommend that you price your work assuming that someone else is going to get half because if a gallerist sells it for you, that's what they're probably going to require as their commission. A lot of art consultants require 30, 50%. A lot of interior designers require more so around 30%. So you just want to set that price. The other thing is your family and friends are always asking for some kind of discount. So I recommend that you just decide today what that's going to be. So you can say, I am happy to extend my 15% discount to you or my 20% discount. So, so many artists have such issues around deciding who should get what off. And just to eliminate that for once and for all, just make a decision, stick to it. And you have to be willing to walk away sometimes, but I'm tired of people taking advantage of artists. If someone wants my clients to show their work, then I'm going to make sure that it's marketed properly. Like I have a nonprofit that wanted an exhibition with four of my clients And I said, you're going to set up a virtual gallery for them. You're going to do social media for them. You're going to promote it through a press release. So I'm making sure that at least they're getting visibility. But back to the main question. So there's kind of four ways to set pricing. And this is the type of thing where you ask any art professional, you're going to get a different answer. So this is just how I suggest to my clients things to consider. One is really cost-based, like time and materials, right? You decide how much you want to be paid per hour, and then you add in what your supplies cost. And if you rent a studio, like you should factor that in. 
if you, you know, have to pay for the water and electricity in the <laughs> studio, you should factor that in. That's all part of your cost because at the end of the day, you want to make a profit. Another way is just per square inch. I mean, that is just the easiest way for someone because then it's just really based on size. If say you're a painter or if you're a sculptor, maybe you do it if your sculptures are, you know, kind of small, medium, large, you just set up a system and uh, organize it that way. Then a third way is for people to look at their past sales. You know, that's why it's so important to track your inventory, not only what you have available in terms of size and if it's framed or the dimensions or the medium and whatnot, but also you can see, oh, I sold 10 of this type of artwork last year at thousand bucks a pop. I then recommend to my clients, well, you can definitely raise your prices now. Like let's push it up 20% and see how it does at 1200. So then the next year you can assess, oh, wow, I sold 15 at $1,200 last year. Well, guess what? Let's push it up another 20%. So that's a strategy as well. And then last of all, some people, I mean, I don't really advise this so much, but it is a way. Some people look at their competitors. Who kind of has a similar CV? Are they doing kind of similar work? And look at what they're selling their work at and what's working for them and what's not. But that can be tricky because sometimes, again, we have that personality factor. Like if you have one artist that's extreme extrovert and has a huge network and is traveling around the world, like they're probably going to sell more work than someone that doesn't have as big of a budget and that's more introverted and not as well connected. So that's why I don't think that's the best route, but some people like to just look at what their competitors are doing. Yeah, I agree with you on that last one. It definitely is a strategy, but something that we always tell artists is don't just compare the price of your art to the price of the art from other artists around you. If you are going to do that, you should pay attention to what art is actually selling, not just what other artists are pricing it at, because then you're totally trusting that they know what they're doing and they might not. They might be over or underpricing their art. Yeah, not really the best route to go. I, I actually, the the third one that you said is what I really like is you, you start out, you're selling your art for, for what it makes the most sense in your mind. And then you're seeing what kind of sales trends over time you're seeing. And, and then adjusting and adapting from there. Maybe, you know, one size of work, let's say you're selling almost too easily. Like you're selling a lot of it. It might be, you know, a good time. Like you said, bump up the price 20%, something like that. And then maybe you have a different size of work where it is just not selling. Every time you're talking to someone who's interested in your art, you get this resistance and you kind of see them like shy away and, and, and lose interest when they hear the price. That might mean it's a, it's time to tweak down a little bit. But what you said originally, just consistency is super important. Also, yes, track your sales because- right. But James, there's, there's one <laughs> other thing that's very interesting. And again, this is why I base everything around the goals because I have a few clients that they just want to move work and their price points are much lower than you would think. They're probably around 1500 bucks. 
but they are constantly selling out of their inventory. So that's another strategy too. You know, the more people that buy your work, the more people that see it, the more you have to post on social media that you're selling work. So it's really a whole different kind of strategy. But again, if you do sculpture and your materials are very expensive and you're not (laughs) making a profit, then that's not going to work for you. So it really, again, depends on your medium and ultimately what you're trying to accomplish with your practice. Yeah, absolutely. And I I also know a lot of artists who they price their work to sell. And that allows, I mean, like you said, when you're selling more art, it means that you have the ability to make more art. And when you're making more art and people are seeing just the action that's happening, that's, that's going to ramp up your sales. And and that's, that's definitely a a really smart way to go. But I also want the artist to feel like they're happy with the price that it sells for. Like if they're pricing something for 500 bucks and they just spent six months doing that piece. Well, something is wrong here. So that could be a problem as well that we need to figure out. Absolutely. I, I think a kind of a balance of all of these factors that you mentioned, the time and the cost of it, you know, what is selling, what isn't, what your goals are, like you said. The next question I have for you, Danielle, what is the major way that you promote your clients? And why is having your own personal artist advisor so important? So I recently hired a video (laughs) coach because I feel (laughs) like during COVID, it's all about social media. I used to get my clients through workshops. I would convert about a quarter of the participants. And I will do a workshop now for like 100 people online. And it's just not the same great because I'm not in the room with them and I can't get to know them like I do if I'm with them for an hour or two or three. So video, I think, is huge right now. And that's a way I'm learning to promote my clients. And boy, have I had a huge learning curve here, but it's coming together. (laughs) It's coming together. I just sold four pieces on Facebook of all places. So It's really interesting to me. But other opportunities are coming my way for my clients as well. And that's what's so exciting. Like I'm partnering with a nonprofit to make a pitch to a real estate firm about 40 murals in downtown DC, which my clients, my muralists would get dibs. So I'm always out there hustling for opportunities. But really, I think that social media, especially Instagram, is the way right now that I'm promoting my clients, but also working my network. I had a show, I did a virtual show, and literally a week before it was over, only one piece had sold, and I was so crushed. So I wrote to 12 of my best friends, (laughs) and I said, please push this out on your social media. I just want you to share it with your networks. Well, not only did they do that, but two of the 12 people bought pieces as well, which was so nice of them. Like I was so thrilled about that. So again, just ask because the worst people are going to say is no. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, Instagram, especially, but social media in general is really where it's at, especially right now to forge new connections with people. Um, But then, like you said, 
the connections that you currently have, whatever that might be for you personally, take advantage of those. Reach out. Again, the worst that they're going to say is no. That's a really good place, especially now, to kind of boost your momentum while you're working on developing new relationships. That's something that we do as well. My The example I have in my head is about SEO and advertising, but basically what you have available to you use that almost like a dollar in the tip jar effect and get the momentum going. And then as you're, you know, paying for ads or, or whatever it might be to develop new leads, that's, that's going to, that's just going to build your momentum and make it more effective. Right. And then to answer your other question, why should an artist hire an artist advisor? Well, I think every business enterprise can use advice. I have a business coach. I now have a video coach. (laughs) I've hired four social media people in the past six years. I have a communications consultant on retainer. So I'm a big believer, like, if you're going to do something, like, let's do it. Let's make it the best it can be. And then just do your best. I mean, I'm not perfect at any of these things. It's just, I'm a jack of all trades here and trying to create a machine that's best for my clients. I I don't think you would have gotten to over 130 artists that you've worked with if your value proposition wasn't valid. So, (laughs) of course. But yeah, no, definitely. And it's something that every artist, every business owner should think about. There are certain investments, whether it's a $500 artist advisor, whether it's I don't know, you know, spending a hundred dollars a month on advertising. These are things that a lot of the time artists are hesitant to spend that money because they don't want to, you know, lose that money. But those decisions are oftentimes the things that transition you from not selling any art and not making any money on your art to making a lot of money and, or, or, or like getting the ball rolling. And then you make other decisions that help you sell more art too. And if you're, if you're not being active in your business in that way, in making these investments, you know, the sales aren't just going to magically come to you. So it's, it's making smart investments that lead to a return on that investment. And that's, that's why we talk about ROI. I always encourage people like, sure, it's a risk to hire any professional. We'll check with their references. I mean, I've had people look at the testimonial page on my website and say, oh, you work with so-and-so? I I don't care. I just want to work with you because if you (laughs) work with them, then that's good enough for me. That's actually how I got my job at the White House. (laughs) (laughs) My interview was like, the my boss telling me about the job he didn't ask me one question and i said at the end of the interview don't you want to ask me anything he said nope if <laughs> so recommended you then you're good enough for me well damn that's fine then. <laughs> <laughs> oh well danielle my next question i want to kind of dive in a little bit on the marketability of artists so how have you worked with your clients' marketability? And is that something that you typically push for with your artists? Well, when I think of marketability, it's the whole package, right? It's the artwork itself. It's the resume. It's the artist statement. It's the person too. So at the end of the day, 
I don't do it for them. What I do is teach them what to do or tell them what they need to do and resources to learn how to do it. Now, some of it's innate, honestly, but I do believe that everyone can grow and meet different challenges if they're willing to do so. I mean, a lot of this involves a lot of time, a lot of effort and energy. And if someone just wants to be in their studio all day and not focus on the business side, that's fine. But they have to then not be unhappy when their art practice is not progressing or going a direct different direction than they thought or, you know, all sorts of things. Not that that can't happen if you are marketing your work and building your resume and all, but at least at that point, like, you know that you are doing your best to make it happen. And hopefully the artist feels gratification knowing that they're doing everything they can to help sustain and build their art practice. Yeah, absolutely. I I like how you mentioned before that marketability isn't just, oh, the content of your art is sellable and great. That's marketability. It's, it's everything combined. It's, you know, you as the artist, again, we've been talking about that here. It's the resume. It's the other decisions that you're making to increase your marketability. I I mean, there's, there's so many factors to it, but yeah, definitely. It can even be something as simple as the aesthetic of your website. I mean, some of these websites, I will tell my clients, I'm like, this is antiquated. You need a new one. (laughs) Don't even bother trying to fix it, honey, because it's just flat out bad. So (laughs) that's, you know, nothing sugarcoated here. When an art consultant or a gallerist are looking at a new artist, they're looking at three things. The art itself, obviously. The resume, and the artist statement. Now, some people, some of those folks, they care if someone has an MFA or not. They care where they've shown or not. Some just focus on the art. But I would rather see an artist have it all pulled together so they have the best chance of getting in with those art professionals rather than not updating their resume every so often or not having professional photographs, because while I probably can't tell by looking at your website if they're professional or not, I can tell you straight up that a gallerist can tell if they're worth their salt. So something important. Absolutely. And, you know, there's another kind of question here, and it's sort of what, what is the definition of a market? And it's, it's a place where things can be bought and sold, whether, whether that market is, a physical place like a store or a, or a gallery, or if it's virtual or, or metaphorical, you mentioned the website. And I mean, for you, it's your marketplace. Again, there's more than just the art itself is everything around it. It's the experience of someone discovering your art, you know, as they're evaluating, do I want to make this purchase right now? All of these, these different factors are going through their head. Yeah, that's why video is becoming more important because that's such a great vehicle for the public to get to know the artist, to hear their voice, to see their space, to hear their quirky sense of humor or their accent or whatever. I mean, it does build more of a connection. So I encourage it and 
you can see me do my thing now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. Video is where it is at. Danielle, we are almost out of time here, but I wanted to ask you, what is one more top word of advice that you have for an artist out there who is considering getting serious about their artist business plan? That's a great question. I think to really dig deep and think about what's the dream, you know, what at the end of the day, here we are in the middle of COVID, right? So if you were to be gone tomorrow, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind in terms of your art practice? Is it that you sold a certain amount of work or that you were able to finish a certain body of work or that you participated in every super fine around the country. (laughs) So to really dig deep and just decide what would be the most meaningful experience to you as an artist, because at the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just asking yourself why taking that moment to, again, take a step back and really think about it. Like it, Yes, you have you have goals, but why do you have those goals? Why why is it that you've chosen to to make art your living or your part-time living or just something that you're spending as much time doing as you are? And if you had a set amount of time, you want to be leaving this legacy behind. What is it that you want to accomplish? I think that's a beautiful question to ask yourself. To all you business artists out there, Danielle has been here giving us some super valuable feedback and advice on how to build your artist business plan, how to better your art career. You're going to want to go back through this podcast and rewatch it three or four times, take some notes. And if you do want to connect with Danielle for a consultation uh, and learn more about what she can offer you in terms of a killer artist business plan strategy, you'll definitely want to give her a shout. You can follow her and shoot her a DM at Client Razor on Instagram or visit www.clientraiser.com slash contact and listen to the podcast and find more ways to connect with and work with Danielle to up your business game and secure that. As always, remember that we are at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. And if you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for an exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs around the U.S., just drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That is artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. And all of these tags and URLs and emails that I just said will all be in the show notes. So go ahead and take a look at those show notes if you want to refer back to any of these. As always, we like to end the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. Today's quote is, the most important thing is to try and inspire people so that they can be great in whatever they want to do. That is Kobe Bryant. I think that wraps up pretty nicely with that last word of advice Danielle gave and just thinking, what is it? Why are you doing this? That's a great question to ask. Danielle, it has been such a pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, thanks. (laughs) Everyone, have an awesome rest of your day and remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. 
Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at Superfine Art Fair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world.